Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Park Church Podcast. My name is James Lapine. I'm your host. And on this show, it's my job to talk with well-known authors, thinkers, and speakers about the intersection of faith and day-to-day life. For this month's episode, we have Nancy Guthrie on the show. She was actually here with us in Denver last month, March 10th, 2017, for a conference. And uh, we had the opportunity to sit down and do a 30-minute Q&A for that conference. And so that is this month's episode. Uh, Nancy is, if you don't know who she is, she's the author of like a million books. And so I'm not going to try to name them all here, but we do talk about them on the show. Uh, She's an amazing writer. If you're interested in learning about what the Bible has to say about tragedy, suffering, uh, the problem of evil, um, you know, how could a good God uh, create or allow evil in this world? Um, If you're interested in any of those topics, I think this, this month's episode will be very good for you. We all experience brokenness and suffering and pain. Um, and, and Nancy in particular has experienced that and she's uh, very well equipped to talk on these matters and to breathe some life and some hope uh, into the brokenness and the suffering that we see all around us um, and even inside of us. So I think you'll enjoy this month's episode. Um, here's Nancy. Um, so a lot of you guys submitted questions before the conference. We are able to take some of them and address them now. And uh, we're going to start off with a heavy-hitting question. We're going to talk about the problem of evil. Uh, so there are two questions here. <laughs> the first one is... If Starting God, with the easy stuff? Yeah. It's all, yeah, it's all downhill from here. Um, if, God, if God is all-powerful, why would he let bad things happen in the world? Uh, and maybe even before that, why did God create Satan if he knew he would become a fallen angel and destroy his perfect world? Mm. Well, how about if I give you a short answer and then a longer answer? The short answer, if you find anybody who has a satisfying answer to that question for you, you probably shouldn't listen to them. Um, This is something the greatest theological minds of all time would basically say they can't answer that. So I certainly can't. All right. But... um, But all that to say a couple things. First of all, God created everything good. So one one way that question was stated, maybe they didn't really intend to say it that way. But God didn't create Satan evil. You know, we know he was an angel who fell. Um, Of course, we that still leads to say have to say, well, what was it? This where did that evil desire come from that caused him to rebel? And so that's really the question we don't have the answer to, yeah. and I certainly don't. But I do think uh, there is something hinted at in a couple passages that I don't know that this will be helpful to the person asking that question, but these have been profoundly um, impactful to me. One comes, I'm going to read from First uh, Timothy 1. I mean, this is kind of one of those verses you could read over really fast, but then you sit back and think about it. So I'm, Reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, which says, well, maybe it's 2 Timothy, because that's not it. All right, 2 Timothy. All right, that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. And here's the part that gets me. Before the ages began. 
So think about that. Okay, there was a purpose of grace. Grace, so grace, there was this sense, God's plan was always that grace would be needed and grace would be shown through, the, through Jesus Christ before the ages began. So certainly we know this was always in his plan. And similarly, uh, comes from in Ephesians chapter 1, this verse you're probably familiar with, where it talks about how he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. There it is again. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. But then here gets at his ultimate purpose. So I think the question was, you know, why did God, you know, allow Satan or create Satan or however you wanted to put it. And here's the biggest answer we have, which is um, to the praise of his glorious grace. I mean, all that verse says his plan before the foundations of the world to make us holy and blameless before him. The ultimate thing it gets to is to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, I, I, I think if we're honest, most of us in this world, I don't know, we just, we tend to think that God would be praised and to the glory of his grace. Maybe that doesn't seem like a good enough reason for humanity to experience all of the incredible suffering and darkness and and let's get out of our own worlds of suffering let's just talk about the suffering in the world of humanity over millennia i mean i think we tend to think about that and think well how how could god's grace being praised to the glory of his grace being praised how could that be of such a purpose that it would require and that it could anyway balance out the immense suffering over so many millennia in this world. And I think that's because not, I mentioned earlier, we have a small idea of God's grave. We have, we have a very diminished understanding of God's glory. And it's so small that we think that God's being glorified to the praise of his glory of grace, it um, somehow it could not be greater than the weight of this suffering. So I, I guess I go back to what Paul said uh, there in the message that I gave. I mean, how I think that is pretty amazing to think about him having seen the glory of God with his eyes that enables him to describe the suffering of this world and I think so we could include that with the suffering that's everything Satan has brought about in this world. He's able to describe it as light and momentary in comparison with the glory that's to come in eternity. And that's the perspective we need. What prompts a question like this is our perspective, which is so limited and rightly so by what we can see and hear and what we know in the world. Right. But that's why we need the word of God to continually be shaping and reshaping our perspective so that our understanding of and esteem for the glory of God would loom so large that it would help put into perspective the sufferings of this world. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, So we all do experience suffering and brokenness because of what's happened. what you talked about with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, um, 
So suffering can, can range from the stomach bug that my wife experienced this afternoon when she's retching her guts out. She probably didn't want me to share that. <laughs> it's TMI there, but James. It was, it was happening. Um, so like you said, large-scale large uh, disaster and tragedy that we see. Um, what are some of the most helpful ways? You, you were talking about the people who would come along and say, I could just never go through that. What are helpful ways uh, to walk with someone who's going through a time of mm -hmm. suffering, both as individuals, but then more broadly as, as a church? Yeah. Well, we could spend all night talking about that. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> well, some people might like to go to bed sometime tonight. Um, well, let me, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Okay. And then, you know, I don't know if you're planning to open this up or what. If people want to go into more of this, we can. Um, let me summarize, summarize with two short statements. Say something and show up. So say something. Um, why do we not say something? I can tell you why I often haven't said something. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. I'll be embarrassed. I want to say something terribly spiritual and fabulous and wonderful that's going to somehow make things better. And I'm afraid that I don't really have anything to offer that's going to make it better. Maybe I don't say anything because I look at that person who maybe their spouse has left them or they're going through a divorce or lost his job or there's been a death. And we don't say anything, especially in regard to a death, because we look at it and maybe you see them out there in the foyer at church and they're smiling and you think, I don't want to bring it up because he or she seems like they're having a good day today and I don't want to make them sad. I mean, can any of you relate to any of these reasons why we don't say anything? All right, so if I can remember what they were, I'll go back through them. Um, in terms of wanting to have, being afraid you'll say the wrong thing, um, I get that, but most people are grateful for you to bring it up even if you fumble around, all right? Because it's the biggest thing going on in their world. And for it not to be acknowledged is just weird. And if there's someone you know who has been through a death of someone close to them, the best way I know how to describe it is that it's like for them a hurdle, like a hurdle in a track and field thing, like a hurdle has gone up in front of them or between them and everybody they know. And until the loss is acknowledged, the hurdle stays there. It can be acknowledged in a very slight way, but until it's acknowledged, the hurdle is there. You can't just go on with relationship if somebody doesn't acknowledge this huge loss that's changed everything about your world. Um, in terms of wanting to have something meaningful to say, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to think that we've got to come up with something that's going to make it better. Well, let me just clue you in. There's nothing you can say that's going to make it better. And I hope instead of discouraging you, that encourages you. That person is not expecting you to say something that makes it better or that makes sense of everything or is like the piece of advice they could never have thought of on their own. What that person really wants is some companionship in the midst of loss and some companionship in the unanswered questions and some companionship in the yuckiness of it. 
And you see, when we think we've got to say something that makes it all okay, what that, in some ways that's almost a prideful thing. Like it becomes about us and my brilliant thoughts and my sensitive thoughts or even whatever it is, rather than making our goal to be, I want to be a companion and just come alongside. And that I really want it to be more about what they want to share with me rather than what I have to want to say. And then the third thing about thinking, well, I don't want to talk to them because they're having a good day. Let me tell you, you know how, like, you know, like if you don't close all the screens on your iPhone, all those programs are running in the background all the time. Well, grief is like that. It's a program that in the grieving person, it's running in the background all the time. It's like a lens or a veil that they experience every part of life through. And so you look at someone, you're smiling, they think they're happy today. I don't want to bring it up and make them sad. Let me tell you what, they're already sad. And what they're really hoping is that someone around them would get out of themselves long enough and care enough about them to bring up the most important thing in their world right now and allow them to release some of their sadness, which might come out in tears. So we can tend to think, if I say something to someone and I make, I've made them cry by bringing it up, no. You gave them a gift by allowing them to talk about this person they love and this hardship that has changed so much about their world and given them an opportunity to release some of the sadness that's inside them, right? So that's say something. And then just show up. I mean, um, show up. Some t- what keeps us from doing that? Well, one thing that keeps us from doing that might be that we think, you know what, I'm not really one of their close friends. And they probably have some closer friends who are going over to their house or who have offered to do whatever. And so since I'm not, I want to, I don't want to invade their privacy. And since I'm not one of their close friends, they probably don't want me around. That's really not true. Uh, what, what many grieving people would tell you, and I bet there are some of you here, and it'd be interesting if, if I knew you and I could call on you, what many tell us What happens when you go through a loss? Some of your closest friends really don't know how to be with you in the midst of it. I mean, there were two couples that David and I called when we got Hope's diagnosis. We weren't telling a lot of people because we wanted to wait for the test. And we called these two couples because we thought, they're our best friends and they'll be with us through this, you know. And both of those couples disappeared. They just didn't know how to walk with us through it. But the amazing thing is, other people showed up. People we hadn't been close to before. Some of them were still close to. Some of them, it was just for that season. Um, there was something very special about people who showed up in our world and chose to love us when they weren't obligated to because they weren't our best buddies or something. It's just, there's something very special about it. I uh, 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 one of my walking buddies, my Katie walking buddy, a mutual friend of ours that used to be in our church but isn't anymore, her mom died recently, and, and Katie got up, she saw it on Facebook, and her first thought was, this girl, she's got this group of 20-somethings that she disciples, and she's in this other church, she's very involved, all these people will be around her, and she thought to herself, you know, she and I don't keep in touch anymore, but she thought, you know what, I'll just go stop by, but I'm sure there's going to be a bit. Nobody was there. 
And here was this friend. She just got in the call. Her mother had died in her sleep the night before. Her dad's in California. And she was going to hop on a plane. And she was so undone, she couldn't even pack a bag. And my friend Katie was like, I'm good at packing. You just sit on the on the bed and I'll pack your bag. And it created this very special moment just by showing up in the hard moment, even when her instinct was other people will be there that will be more welcome, more significant. So don't be afraid to show up. As you can see, I can talk about that a long time. All right, sorry. Say something and show up. That's helpful. Uh, let's do two more and okay. then we'll rifle through your books. Okay. And then we'll take a selfie. Cool. Send it to your dad? Yeah. Okay. I always take selfies for, for these I'd things. like to take one this direction, but too. But we'll do one of those, too. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so people can tend towards two extremes when it comes to suffering. I know this because my wife and I do this. I can tend to be a silent sufferer. Uh, I'm doing fine. No, I don't need to talk about it. I'm good. I'm fine. Leave me alone. So if somebody showed up to my house, I'd say, my bag is already packed. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but then, um, and, and this isn't a gender stereotype thing. I mean, yeah. y- you see this across the board. Um, there are other folks who will tend to wear things on their sleeve a little bit more. Um, and, and so we have these two ditches where mm-hmm. it's either I'm always processing the things that are happening in my life or, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm totally fine. Can you help us explore the middle road, the balanced approach to that, how we can avoid those ditches? Any practical thoughts that you have there? In terms of our sharing of our own suffering with others? Sure. Yeah, like um, how do you share, when do you share, with whom do you share? Yeah. We didn't talk about this one beforehand. I Sorry. Know, you're Just, I know. In, it, came to my, it came to me while you were talking. Oh. Yeah. You can say pass if you'd like to. Well, let's just look back at the passage we were just in. Yeah. Let's try to figure out what, what, I doubt Paul walked in the door saying, very often saying, let me tell you about the shipwrecks and the stonings, right? I don't think he walked in the door talking about his thorn either. Maybe he had a few close friends that he shared the burden of the thorn with. But I, I, I think he was always more interested in God getting glory than about him getting sympathy i like sympathy myself yeah Yeah. and um and there's nothing wrong with it no right but it can be addictive yeah it can be addictive um i think some sometimes something that happens in the church is when someone goes through something hard especially like a long-term thing and everybody's caring for him, which is a beautiful thing about the church, isn't it? Yes. I mean, don't you often wonder how people do it when they don't, aren't in a body? They have people to call, people who care about them. But I think sometimes something can happen is that we get used to it always being about us, especially if we've had the big public long-term thing. And so every time we walk into church, it's always everybody asking well, about our thing, whatever it is, right? And it gets kind of addictive, addicted to be the center of attention. And, and a part of experiencing the Holy Spirit doing a work of healing in you and a work of sanctification in you in this is 
that you recognize at some point, I don't want it to always be all about me. Instead, I want to turn the spotlight toward other people around me and walk into church instead of walking into church thinking, is anybody going to ask me about this? Who do I need to tell about this? Instead, we're walking in and we begin to look around and we look for people and we think, you know what? Um, I'm remembering that his mom died, you know, uh, and this is the first Mother's Day without his mom. I I think I'm going to go talk with him and ask him how he's feeling about Mother's Day without his mom. Or, you know, here's a, a, a divorced person and they're just starting to come to church by themselves now. And that must be really hard and awkward. I'm going to go and I'm going to see if she wants to have lunch. I, in fact, I'm going to tell her that next week I'll meet at the front door because maybe it's even hard to come inside and sit down by yourself. You see what I mean? You, turning this focus to other people. So certainly those of us who tend to want to talk about our stuff all the time to determine and then to welcome the Holy Spirit to work in us so that a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our life is that we become more other centers than ourselves focus is a positive thing. But I kind of wonder if the thing of I don't talk about myself, if, is that also a part of somewhat being self-focused? Um, a... Uh, a resistance to share ourselves, a resistance to share the very weakness here that Paul determines he wants to boast in. Um, it's very humbling to be needy. I think most of us just like to be on top of things. And to not be needy, you don't want to be that. Ugh, it seems weak and worthless. And um, here we have Paul. I mean, I don't think he's any kind of wimp. And he's determined he's going to, boast about his weaknesses this thing whatever it is that was embarrassing um, perhaps even humiliating and revealed some great weakness and at least at this point he shares it but he doesn't share it for sympathy he shares it so that people can see that in his life not only did Jesus tell him he would be enough for him Jesus has proven true to that and has been enough for him, and that his power in his, at work in his life has made him content, so he doesn't have to talk about it all the time. Yeah, yeah you can stop now. I'm convicted. Thank you. Yeah, okay. thank you. <laughs> I'm never going off script again. Wow. Um, no, thank you for that. Seriously, that's helpful. Let's uh, let's rifle through the books, and then we'll let people go. Okay. Uh, we'll take the selfie, and then we'll all let right. people go. All right. All right. First of all. There was a box of these, and I stuck a bunch in my uh, 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 suitcase. This is, all, you see, it's a short little, it's a, like a one-chapter uh, excerpt book that's for free. I only bought like 50 of them so over there, so first 50 of you who grab one. This is one of my most recent books. It's called, it goes with your second question you asked me. It's called, What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts. So you'll hear the Say Something show up in here. But um, there's the regular book is over there too if you want the full length. But if you want just a little chapter from this book, that's over there. And it's just, I uh, surveyed grieving people and I asked them three questions. What's something somebody said to you that was meaningful, memorable? What's something somebody did for you? What's something you wish people got about grief? You wish they understood that they don't seem to get? 
And I got the most amazing responses, and I put them together in this book. So I hope that proves to be helpful, especially if you want to not be that person who avoids yeah. everyone when they're yeah. suffering. Yeah. I'll right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, they're free, right? That was free. Okay. These aren't free. Okay. All right. Just to be clear. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So this is like not yet in stores. I just got a box of these a week and a half ago. This is, um, it's called Seeing Jesus, Seeing and Finding Him in the Scriptures. It's like a little nice little gift book. It takes 60 uh, truths, uh, 60 verses, scenes from the Old Testament and shows how they point to Christ. So it connects Old Testament and New Testament. Sure. A short little thing. All right. I have a number of books that I didn't really write. I collected the writings of what I call... Uh, it's a collection of writings of old dead guys and not so dead guys, which I figure the not so dead guys probably appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So, um, so uh, one is a collection of writing on the cross and resurrection. I put this together for myself because oftentimes, you know, there's like Palm Sunday, you celebrate Palm Sunday and the next week is Easter. And I realized my heart has never gone to the cross. Mm-hmm. And I put this my, together for myself, great writing on the cross to just help my heart go there and appreciate that. And then this is a collection of, if a lot of what I've talked to tonight, especially if you really struggle with God's sovereignty and suffering, what was his role in this? And does he have any purpose in it? That's what this collection is about. It's called Be Still My Soul, um, Embracing God's Purpose and Provision in Suffering. So about 22 short pieces about trying to understand God's sovereignty and suffering. And then this book sounds like the biggest bummer, and I promise it's not. It's called, uh, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go, Facing Death with Courageous Confidence in God. I collected a bunch of writings about what it means to face death. You know, if you and I think about, respond to death the same way as our unbelieving friends, that's a problem. Jesus Christ makes a difference in the way we face death. It changes everything, or at least it should, about the way we face death. And so as I just read, especially these more ancient writings about facing death, when people didn't have antibiotics, you know, and all of the things we have today to be able to stave off death, but death and death was more of reality. I mean, like the body was in the house, you know, that kind of thing. And as I read these, I, what it did in me, it's just like, I want to live and die. Like I believe the gospel's really true instead of denying the gospel by the way I talk about death. Anyway. All right. Uh, hoping for better is a 10 week Bible study on the book of Hebrews. Um, hearing Jesus speak into your sorrow, um, not all of my message tonight, but a lot of that is in here. The messages I'll give tomorrow at the women's conference come from this book. I wrote this book when I thought maybe I'd never get to write any more books. It's kind of the heart of my ministry. It looks at 11 statements of Jesus that I think are often misunderstood uh, or misapplied to try to mine them for meaning. Uh, statements like, um, I'm overwhelmed with the sorrow to the point of death, said Jesus. Or when he... Um, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, uh, those kind of things. All right. Abundant life in Jesus. This is a one-year a, a one daily devotional, kind of speaking to you as if uh, from God himself, telling you how he wants to bless you through Christ. I told you about this one. The whole book is not free, James, so no, it doesn't go over there. All right. All right. All right. 
All right. Uh, Dinner Table Devotions is a one-year daily devotional for families. If you are like my family, and it can be so easy to never talk about the things that really matter together as a family, like the things of the Word of God and doctrines and attributes of God. This creates a way to do that. Um, with, it's called Dinner Table Devotions and Discussion Stars with some little questions to hopefully... Here was this, this was my aim, to create a family devotional your kids wouldn't say is totally lame. So you can let me know if you think that... Okay, this is my first book. It's called Holding On to Hope. This is my walk through the book of Job. Uh, during Hope's life, I studied the book of Job. I'd read the book of Job a couple weeks before she was born, and I went back to it during her life because I wanted to figure out how does a godly person lose so much and question God boldly and yet emerge from the loss with a life that's described as good, which is what I had seen in the book of Job. Because I thought at that point, my life will never be good again. So I wanted to figure out how we did that. So this is a, if you're looking for someone, something for someone who's suffering, but maybe they're not a believer, this is kind of a short and simple with real big type kind of book that might invite them uh, into hearing about Christ in the midst of that. This is a one-year walking through the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. It's called Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. So something every day from the Old Testament and how it points to Christ. Uh, this is another really new book. It just came out a couple of months ago called uh, Praying Through the Bible for Your Kids. Um, I wrote this book because it's what I needed to do. I realized in my own parenting, I just felt like I um, I needed my dreams and desires for my child to be shaped by the scripture and not just by my own thoughts and desires. And that I needed the scriptures to shape my prayers for him too. And I needed to pray more than worry and pray more than manipulate. And uh, so I wrote it for myself, but I'll share it with you. All right. And then uh, this is a one-year daily devotional for people who are hurting or grieving, the one-year book of hope. This is the book I've got. It's like 13 years old. And it's the book I still get the most mail from people uh, going through all different kinds of hard things. And they find it helpful to focus day by day and i'm grateful and then here's this is called when your family's lost a loved one it's more of a practical book uh if you if your family or someone in family you know has uh had the death of a loved one it deals with things like the hurtful things people say dealing with that how men and women grieve differently dealing with things like going to the grave and birthdays and death days and holidays and all those kind of things so there you go awesome thank you uh I don't have my phone. Oh, you're serious about the selfie? (laughs) If Andy Crouch will do it with me, you'll do it with me, right? Andy Crouch did it with you? Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) That was the best selfie yet. Okay. Um, Can we thank Nancy for her time with us? Alrighty, that's this month's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, I'd ask you to do a couple things. The first one is to hop into iTunes and subscribe. And while you're in there, if you could rate and review us, that will help other people find the show. Um, of course, uh, word of mouth is always great too. So if you want to uh, you know, tweet about it, Facebook it, text a friend who you think might enjoy it, um, we would really appreciate it. 
And if you have any thoughts or feedback for the show, I'd always love to hear that. You can email me at james at parkchurchdenver.org. I love doing this show, but I want it to be helpful for you guys. So if you have any thoughts on how I can make it better, um, yeah, I'd covet those. So let me know. We'll be back next month, and uh, I'll talk to you then. Take care.